0: Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke.
1: And I'm Annie Warmke. All
0: right. And today we're going to talk about how to create a just and fair world or we trash the place. Now, Jared, it's up to you to fix it. So, So, Jared, you're going to have to fix the place. And we're joined by Jared Mendoza. And Jared is a sustainably unemployed graduate <laughs> from my parents uni- will love to hear that. I know from <laughs> from the University of Dayton, another uh, ringing endorsement for a liberal arts education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you study. You got your degree in human rights and sustainability with a with a minor in Chinese studies?
2: And minor in sustainability and then concentration in concentration Chinese. Concentration yeah. in chi- One, is Chinese? Is that a millennial thing where you have to list all your credentials? Oh, okay, yeah. so
0: and how on earth are you not fully employed with that kind of background? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm if you, taking a pause. If, yeah. if you had if you had studied how to destroy the environment, you would be so rich right now. Yeah. So yeah. trust funny. me, my
2: dad tells me all the time. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about your background, why you went into this. And, and what that's going to mean to the future of the world.
2: Wonderful. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So, as you mentioned, graduated from University of Dayton and grew up on the west side of Cincinnati. For our listeners here, the west side is a suburb of Cincinnati but operates very much as a small town, a place where you could give my mom anyone's name and she could probably tell you where they grew up, who their parents are, maybe what their phone number is. So it's a very small <laughs> uh conservative catholic uh you know christian town um so had that upbringing um you know had great parents uh you know wonderful siblings and went to dayton and chose mechanical engineering actually to start my studies because i was good at math and science and my dad said you know there's gonna be a lot of jobs in engineering so you know it's probably a pretty good field to go into so i thought okay sounds good to me you know i'm 18 years old what do i know so i signed up for it and but got into my you know studies and through many different experiences realized that engineering was not the path I wanted to choose for myself. Um, I think that was an important distinction I made at that age too was, I mean, this is my path that I can make that choice. So I had spent a few months in India working with uh, rural communities around how the climate crisis is impacting their livelihoods and realized that there are enough smart people working on the technology and the science of how we're adapting and not enough people are understanding that technology, that language, and then communicating that to policy and to communities and making sure we also have you know a bend towards equity and justice in there. Um, so came back and decided to change majors. Uh, had many conversations with my parents about that my mom still asked me today do you ever think you're going to go back to engineering and i said you know if i haven't gone back now i probably won't um, you know they're always worried about you know money or you know my dad asked are you okay with being poor for the rest of your life when i <laughs> changed majors and i said as long as i'm you know able to make enough to support myself and and you know dedicate myself to work that i enjoy then i'll be happy
1: well so, as it should be well so you know all that said it strikes me that um, there's an awful lot of people that are um, thinking and feeling a lot of the same thoughts and feelings. Um, your your generation in particular. So, but I was wondering, you know, it, it doesn't seem that common that people that start out in engineering would become interested in human rights. Yes sustainability but human rights so so what intrigues you about those two topics and how do they relate to each other
2: yeah so as an engineer when i was at dayton my i always joke my first love i felt like was sustainability because i was exposed to it through a living learning community i was in um, and ended up working at one of the institutes there called the hanley sustainability institute And it was that those programs that, you know, maybe I didn't deserve it at the time and probably didn't as an 18 year old really entrusted me with a lot of leadership responsibility to go and say that this is a field that is starting to really blossom, especially in the the university sector. And so I was able to work on projects and see a different pathway for myself. You know, many times, you know, as you know, traditional engineering looks like you go and work for, you know, and and which I had done, you know, GE Aviation, other, you know, big engineering firms, you know, consulting. Um, And that was the only pathway that, you know, I was really aware of at the time. And so it was being, um, being able to, you know, maybe pause it was being shown a different pathway that I was able to connect that I can use this technical background for something that I felt was more uh, worthwhile and that was good. Um, So was able to realize that, you know, using engineering for sustainability, um, but I connected it with the social justice um, and human rights. And when I made that change in major, it really felt like, uh, you know, kind of coming home and was so excited to go to classes and like homework didn't even feel like homework because it was what I'd been waiting for. And I felt like there was a disconnect in the sustainability, you know, language and social justice and human rights. And there was the equity component missing. And so, and, and especially so in engineering as well. And so I felt like that was a missing piece in how we're talking about designing the future to be more sustainable. We needed also to think about where justice and equity falls into that.
1: So what do you mean about equity component?
2: So when, when I'm talking about equity and, you know, and it is ironic here, I mean, for our listeners who aren't able to see us, you know, as a, as a white male talking about equity, um, you know, it's, I'll often refer, you know, to the people who are, you know, in the field in the industry, you know industry quote-unquote leading these conversations um you know so i'm i i will talk about it in terms of i always try and make space for other voices and making sure that you know we're not you know just as a white male the only people in on the conversation who are you know talking about what the future can look like Um, so there's you know many different components of it you can talk about diversity um of course there's equity inclusion is often the you know dai um, accessibility is often talked about. Um, but, what's, you know,
1: D-A- what's DAI?
2: So diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion um, is right now the the buzzword that people are talking about is thinking about, you know, as we're, you know, redesigning systems, these different components and how we can fit those in there. Um, and I'm not an expert on, you know, any of those by any means. So that's why i refer people um, to go do research on what exactly we are talking about
1: we're redesigning systems. What, what does that mean? Because I, I don't see it. Mm. <laughs> I'm so, sorry. I, I just think, man, we're just doing so much of the same old stuff and expecting a different result.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. And I mean, one thing that when it was probably sophomore junior year and, and I felt the same way and I really challenged myself to, you know, I, kind of embarked on what it, you know, ended up being a little over a year of just intentional listening. Um, You know, so I was not seeing the kind of change that I felt was necessary. And I call it also, you know, young person frustration, where, you know, it's, there's an author who says is, it's sad to look at, you know, the way these systems operate, because, you know, they just don't have to be this way. You know, we can create something better, but we are so entrenched in this current system. So I, you know, went on intentional listening and really just, you know, whenever I wanted to speak up would, you know, practice, you know, biting my tongue and allowing room for other voices. Um, And that meant asking a lot of questions. So really unpacking and trying to understand why we are in the situation we're in. And so that led to a lot of different discoveries. And, And a part of that intentional listening was asking professors about, you know, okay, if we're talking about critical race theory, if we're talking about critical queer theory, or, you know, um, critical gender theory, what is the alternative? What does that look like? You know, how can we create a better world? And and a couple of professors we would talk about really didn't have, uh, you know, response to that because we're so used to critiquing the current system because we're we're fighting for survival in many senses that we aren't allowing ourselves the time or capacity to dream about what is a better world. So
1: yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And and I find it really frustrating that the people who are supposed to be um encouraging people to think that are in those positions are not thinking themselves. It's one of the things that I always say about world peace when people say, let's, uh, you know, let's hope or let's pray for world peace. And then if I say, well, what does that look like? They don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. know it's about having enough to eat and enough yeah. to a safe place to be and all that. And, and it's just so frustrating um, because it feels like it's a template that ought to be laid mm-hmm. over everything we decide to do. The same as with sustainability. I don't see sustainability as a as a class or a, a degree. I see it as a template mm-hmm. that has to be built into all processes if we're gonna still be in Earth.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I definitely recognize too, I mean, the privilege in being able to I mean, especially now as you know, Jay joked, as I'm sustainably unemployed, but being able to <laughs> step back and think intent, you know, think intentionally about what it is I want to do, you know, so, you know, I'm not faulting anyone for, you know, again, acting on survival instincts when your back is up against the wall, when so many people are, you know, you know, you know, oppressed or being oppressed actively. So I do recognize the privilege in that.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the, that's the challenge. But I also think you use the word allowed, you know, like I, I was doing intentional listening and I allowed other voices. And I think it's really powerful when white men, particularly who tend to be the people who make the rules and also be the active shooters in the all the deaths we see with from guns, um, are actively saying to themselves and maybe even out loud, I need to listen. And then I need to speak up and say to the guy next to me, don't talk like that anymore or don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think we. We need to be doing a whole lot more of that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were talking, you know, earlier about the power of, you know, seeing someone, you know, someone you are able to recognize, you know, in a mirror, you know, so if I were talking to another, you know, white dude and they're saying something inappropriate, they might be more receptive to me saying, you know, hey, that's not okay. And so I I completely agree that we do need more people, um, especially more white men to step up into this space and call out you know, injustice and call out when we're seeing or hearing something that isn't right. It is, and I recognize that, you know, it's not comfortable, you know, right? it often is very uncomfortable, but if we want to create a better world, you know, for ourselves, our children and, and everyone else, then that's the work that needs to be done.
1: Yeah. Well, it's uncomfortable for everybody uh, if they're doing, trying to do the right thing. Um, so give us a couple of examples of a combination of social justice and human rights, and maybe something you've done personally um, uh, in your life around mm-hmm. those issues.
2: Yeah, so I've been fortunate and, and really fortunate to have many opportunities to be involved in this work, both as volunteer capacities and also in paid you know, jobs, internships. Um, one example though, that I think, and, and as I was, you know, we were talking earlier I never claimed to speak for, you know, a generation or for a specific group of people. Um, you know, if I'm talking, it's based on, you know, reflecting things that I've heard. But one thing I often hear from young people like myself who are talking is either not having the confidence or not knowing how to step into the space. And so one of the examples of, you know, the social justice or sustainability work that I was able to be a part of, um, and it's always, you know, being a part of a group, it's never, you know, oh, I'm doing this as Jared, is we were, um, it was 2019 and it was, you know, junior year at this uh, University of Dayton. And this is right before Greta Thunberg was going to talk at the UN, um, you know, March for our Lives, or I'm sorry, March for the Future, Friday Future and, it was, you know, there are there many marches planned throughout the world on um, Friday, on this Friday in August, I believe. And someone came to us a week before that date and said, hey, is Dayton doing anything? Is the University of Dayton doing anything? And me and a couple of friends who were all worked together, looked at each other and said, no, we aren't, but we should be doing something. And so, It was really, you know, someone asked that question. We that was our marching orders. So we recognized, you know, this is something that's happening that we need to be a part of, that we need to call attention to to get others involved as well. So within four, four nights, we, you know, pulled together this climate strike. Um, at on, on University of Dayton's campus where we had voter registration booths, we had education tables because, you know, giving people resources on how to commit and do this kind of work. We had, you know, a plethora of speakers from all different experiences, um, you know, and then, you know, usual sign making and chanting. So it was a really great opportunity for people to get involved and help bring others into the room, um, you know, because oftentimes some of these um, groups and some of this work can feel exclusive to others who aren't impl- involved in it.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to jump in here and let everybody know that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it.
1: And thank God.
0: Thank God. So today we're joined um, by by Jared Mendoza who is uh, talking to us here about some of the things he learned in gaining his education to be gainfully unemployed in social justice. And I think that kind of brings wow. us to the point where um, not rewarding professions and people who are seeking to to treat everybody in a... Um, in a just way. Mm -hmm. You know, we seem Mm -hmm. our culture, we can, we can pay lip service to it, but, but the money, you know, put your money where your mouth is. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. not, we're not actually encouraging that economically. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I mean, I, I think people can, you know, find work that is paid to do this, you know, because we're talking about transition that, you know, many businesses are looking to is how do we adapt and change because of, you know, changing customer preferences. So.
0: All right. Well, I want to interrupt here because a note was just passed to me, and I'm going to totally blame Annie on this. That I changed Jared's last name from Marsh to Mendoza. So you are now included in in an entire culture. Yes, yeah. you have culturally appropriated
2: the entire uh, yes, Latin yeah. American yeah. Uh, mindset here. So uh, yeah, I'm, if it, I was I was thinking to myself, though, I was like, if I say anything, you know, controversial, then maybe it won't be associated with me because you know not one had the right last name. Too late. Okay.
0: Okay. So, so Jared Marsh um, Thank you. is, yeah. is unemployed.
2: Yes,
1: Mendoza's working like crazy. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, and so what was the outcome then at, mm-hmm. in terms of, so you did all these things, voter registrations, mm. you know, chanting, all the cool stuff and then and then what
2: happened yeah so you know i think those are often the the buzzwords or you know the cool and exciting things that people talk about in terms of registration you know chanting sign making the one thing that you know, i you know i particularly wanted to see as a part of that was a pledge station again coupled with the resource station is we wanted to see change come from that there's often times where you go to marches or any kind of you know activism and which is you know Helpful in its own right, but you're involved for the day, and then you leave and you go about your life. So we wanted to people to walk away with that, with a sense of empowerment, and to enable them to go and make change within their own lives. Because another thing we often hear, um, I often hear, you know, in myself and amongst other young people, is a feeling of despair: of we are so things are so bad right now. The crisis is so bad. The house is on fire. What can I do? You know, as an individual, what can I reasonably do to affect change? And so, you know, we had we challenge people to take the resources we provided them and say these are a number of things you can do in your own life to affect change. Make a pledge to, you know, implement one in your life every day, every week, you know, for whatever the frequency is. And so, we had a lot of people walking away, you know, saying that you know I have now learned you know steps and and steps I can take to go and, you know, make a change in my own life that will, you know, on a grander scale impact things.
1: Uh-huh. So you like to talk about ownership. So do you mm. see this as a sort of a first step in kind of owning your own life.
2: Uh, yes, definitely. You know ownership is another buzzword that's being thrown around a lot is yeah, owning your own life and recognizing that you know if we are to change things, we need to recognize how we as individuals fit within those systems and how we can affect the change from the system. Um, so that means you know recognizing your own ownership in that we always say, Every dollar you spend is a vote towards something. So what are you voting for? You know, so you, yeah. we are not passive players in this. And that, you know, leads me to my, you know, next thought is really we need to start getting up and get moving, especially as young people and taking the power that we do have and using that for to see whatever change we, we, we do want to see in the world. Particularly
1: so that, economics. You know, you're a big, you're a big voting block when it comes to the dollar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how you spend it. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. So it means doing your research. I mean, we don't have enough time here to cover all the different ways people can make change, but, you know, where you spend your money is definitely one, who you're voting for, what kind of organizations you're supporting, whether through donations. And so making sure you're doing the work, doing the research. Another thing that I think is really important for young people that I've encountered is we, you know, especially myself, I often lack the confidence in saying, you know, I'm just a young person. What can I really do? Especially when there might be resistance from older generations or others to allow room for this kind of change, allow space for that. Um, The one example I can think of, you know, just in my own life and away from sustainability and social justice was I really enjoy cooking. And so when I started cooking, I would make traditional meals um, that we would eat as a family every Sunday for family dinner. And my grandma or, you know, grandpa or, you know, anyone in the family would, you know, be a, you know, a little bit resistance to, oh, well we've done this for, you know, generations. This is tradition. This is how we make something, um, you know, and I said, that's okay. And I appreciate the way it's been done in the past, but you know, I want to do this for myself to try something different and so you know it shows up you know one sunday or you know every other sunday and then all of a sudden people start trying this new dish that i'm making and they say oh you know this is good this is interesting um you know what else is there and so you know and it's it's all vegetarian for myself so opening up the possibility and the avenue for new change and eventually you'll pique people's interest and then it turns into oh, well, why didn't you tell me that, you know, this amazing dish, we were making grape leaves at the time. Why didn't you tell me this tasted so good? And so we're able to bring people into that conversation that way. And, and it requires though, for, you know, myself, young people, the courage and confidence to say, we don't always have the roadmap for how to do this kind of work. There are many resources and people we can turn to, but if, oftentimes, maybe we have to make it ourselves. And so it requires a lot of confidence to go and say, I'm going to just experiment, go on a limb of faith here and see what can happen.
1: Well, marketing. So, <laughs> you know, that's the thing, isn't it? Marketing. It's all in the marketing. What's your next point of what people can do?
2: Well, and I, I think I'll, I'll turn this back to you, Annie. One thing that, especially right now, I've felt particularly challenged with is, you know, I've I feel like, you know, I know where I can look to do, you know, quote unquote, this work, Um, you know, how to start making change. The one part I'm struggling with is how to find my own voice within this work, you know, and I can work with others on this in many different capacities. But how do I as an individual find my own voice?
1: Okay. Well, I think one way you find your own voice is by focusing on what you're passionate about. And then finding some older people, old farts, as I call us, (laughs) uh, who are who are interested in the same work Mm. and asked to be mentored because they have contacts. They have experience. They have stories. And in those stories are strategies that can help you develop your leadership, develop your confidence, and they will believe in you because they're investing and um, I, I think, you know, I, I would encourage anybody who's older to find somebody young in their life and do exactly that. I don't care if it's through because they have religion or like myself as an activist. But I think we owe it to the next generation to to create those opportunities. Um, I also think volunteering at um at different groups that may share your passion or need leadership uh, skills, because as you demonstrated, you have a natural leadership ability where you see something and you say, all right, what can we do about it? That's really what a leader does. So I think there are a lot of solutions, but I think it all starts with that beginning sort of volunteering. Um, many, many women learn this, you know, they raise their kids and then they didn't have a real job in life. I mean, they a paying job. They, they had a real job, but, uh, and they volunteer somewhere and then they gain some confidence. And the next thing you know, they're the manager of the place or they're the person teaching how to train volunteers or whatever, because those leadership skills were already there. You can't run a house if you don't know how to be a leader. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, uh, I think that's a big piece.
2: Um, and I think, I think then to your, your question earlier, of you know, what's the next thing for young people? And I think the marching order is ask for help. That's something that, you know, especially as, uh, you know, a, a man that sometimes you know, can be challenging is saying, I don't know what the answer is. So I need help. And and I was talking earlier, you know, about the roadmap is, you know, maybe there is no clear cut path, but we do need resources. We need others. We need older generations to give us an idea to help guide us. So, you know, the challenge is asking for help and raising your hand and mm-hmm. saying, I don't know. but I'm willing to find out.
1: Right. And even though it's not your responsibility, it might be in asking for that help. You're redirecting some of the old people in their resources to redirect. Um, So many people are saying I'm lonesome or whatever, and this could be an answer to some of that, um, that frustration. But anyway, so I personally believe that we need many ages in our life mm-hmm. and i remember when we first started doing internship program um i i i would the interns would say we want to be friends after we leave here and i would ask the question can can old people be friends with really young people and they thought that was hysterically funny because yes of course they can and they've proven that so so well done you for all that you're trying to do. And I, I don't want to lose the time because I know you had something you wanted to read at the mm-hmm. end.
2: Thank you. Yeah, so I always like to end with a poem because it makes me feel sophisticated and, okay. and, and creative. Go for it, go no. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but these are my own poems. So I'm not that sophisticated, okay. really. Um, this is one by Nikki Giovanni, who actually has ties to Cincinnati. So shout out. This is called A Journey by Nikki Giovanni. It's a journey that I propose. I am not the guide nor technical assistant. I will be your fellow passenger. Though the rail has been ridden, winter clouds cover, autumn's exuberant quilt, we must provide our own guidepost. I have heard from previous visitors the road washes out sometimes, and passengers are compelled to continue groping or turn back. I am not afraid. I am not afraid of rough spots or lonely times. I don't fear the success of this endeavor. I am raw, in a space not to be discovered, but invented. I promise you nothing. I accept your promise. Of the same, we are simply riding a wave that may carry or crash. It's a journey, and I want to go.
1: That's great. So we're winding up here, but I just want to ask you, what do you think is the, the best advice that you've been given so far in this journey?
2: The best advice I've... Yeah. I don't think there's one particular advice um, that I've given. I mean, it's always just a plethora of advice that I use to, you know, kind of guide myself. Um, I think the one thing, though, recently that you know I, I learned that kind of is helping guide me right now is listening to yourself to figure out where you fit into this puzzle. Um, I was listening to this author talk about how you know the kind of uh, different levers of change and understanding those levers to figure out where you as an individual can fit into. So again, that means doing work to discover and learn about yourself, learn about what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are and figuring out then how you can apply those to a system of change you know like for me you know even as a young person you know i can do social media but it's not something i'm particularly drawn to and i realized and i always felt like that was you know a very a major weakness that was going to be you know a huge uh, uh, you know a crutch the later in life because we're seeing so much you know change through social media you know we've saw you know start of arab springs you know to black lives matter and so forth But the one thing I recently learned by, you know, through this advice was a lot of these movements, the spark may be started by social media, but it's really the human relationship, the human connection that is providing the foundation, the building blocks and tools to sustain the change. So the advice is learning and understanding where you fit into the change.
0: Okay, well speaking of listening, you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jan Annie Warmke. We want to thank Jay Jared, Jared Marsh. No Jay Z. Yeah Jay-Z. Jared Marsh who recently changed his name for Mendoza. And we want to thank we want to thank our producer adam rich and we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us and as your grandmother hopefully told you the secret to a happy and sustainable life is
1: (laughs) play nice with others and don't fight over the microphone (laughs)
0: all right till next time bye-bye